in a little scholastic debate about the 15th and 16th chapter of the book of Romans, which we won't enter into. But uh, church fathers had some problems with them, with uh, felt that they were addendums and so on. And then really, they are the very practical um, kind of conclusions. <clears throat> but clearly, this 15th chapter begins with a verse that links it to what we just studied last week in the 14th. So, <clears throat> we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. So let every man, let every one of us, please his neighbor for his good to edification. So we're talking about the believers, the strong believers. Uh, now, how do you classify yourselves? I hope all of you feel, you, especially if you're coming Sunday nights, I would have to think, uh, you know, you're strong believers. Strong in Christ, of course. We know that it is in our own strength. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So we're not ascribing any strength to us personally. This is all, you know, it's acquired. It's acquired from the Lord. So, uh, so we that are strong ought to uh, bear the infirmities of the weak. Now remember what we discussed in the 14th chapter about the weak brethren and the, those that uh, you know, are still caught up with certain uh, uh, legalistic concepts of diet and so on. And um, There's also, remember, the conflict, the ongoing conflict and perhaps the purpose of the writing of the book of Romans between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there was certainly dietary function and law and so on that they had uh, contention right from the beginning. Boy, the devil gets in right away, doesn't he? He tries to stir problems up. And uh, the Jewish Christians are telling the Gentile Christians, well, yeah, you know, you can't eat anything that's strangled, you can't have any blood, you know, everything has to be kosher and all the rest. And the, like, it's uh, perplexing to the Gentiles who have simply come by faith to Christ and uh, they, they didn't see all these obstacles and so on. So, um, so you'll have to discern when Paul is writing, who, who are really the weak brethren at this point? It's perhaps those that think that you have to live by certain laws, dietary laws, uh, some were perhaps even uh, influenced by the Gnostics. Some of them were very ascetic and they believed that you had to fast a certain time. And Pharisees bought into that as well. You remember uh, when Jesus gave the parable of the two that went up in the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a publican. And the Pharisee prayed thus with himself, God, I'm thankful I'm not as other men are. And then he goes ahead and boasts about what he is compared to the other and so forth. And of course he includes in that that I fast twice in the week. Uh, so that seemed to be, in a sense, you know, a, uh, it, it was almost a code for higher living if you're a Christian, a, a Christian Jew. <laughs> and um, so there was this kind of contention and infighting that was going on in the church, and the devil immediately tries to stir up strife. I mean, that's who he is. He's the great divider, whereas Christ is the repairer of the breach. So Paul is trying to peace, uh, uh, bring peace to the congregation and bring them together in unity. Uh, when he, he recognizes what the devil's doing. And so, uh, so if there are those in the congregation that, that are weak and think that, you know, in a sense, uh, a certain dietary law commends them to God, then you condescend to the weak. That was the notion of it. Uh, that the believer, in a sense, send, surrenders a certain amount of his liberty and rights so that he... Okay. Are we okay? <laughs> oh, that was Deli in the back there. That's... You get five points off for that. I thought we were having a fire drill or something. All right, so we, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, which means, of course, that uh, even though we know better about certain things, we might uh, condescend to those that are holding various convictions that are really unsound and unbiblical and maybe even uh, given over to uh, the, the wisdom and will worship that we saw in the book of Colossians, you know, the idea of, of subjecting the will. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with disciplining the flesh. There's nothing wrong with fasting. There's certainly nothing wrong with uh, saying we won't eat this or eat that and so forth because it might, be, uh, it might not edify the body. Uh, but, but all that said, we don't want to be making laws about things uh, and almost making it uh, a, a code word for uh, application into the body of Christ. Uh, these are not... Um, shibboleths, you know, they're not passwords, you know, by saying I have a certain diet and so on, so you're immediately commended into the fellowship. So, 
Also, Galatians tells us, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And a very similar idea here that he's writing to the Galatians. And remember, the writing of the book to the Galatians had everything to do with legalists that were coming into the congregations and they were spoiling the gospel of grace. Uh, Paul even uh, was concerned that the Galatians had fallen from grace. Not that they had lost their salvation, but that they were uh, no longer understanding the, the great premium with which Christ has paid it all and finished the work on the cross. And thus they were falling away from that and falling into the trap of some degree of legalism and uh, having to diets and so forth that they had to keep, even to the point of circumcision. They, the Gentiles were considering circumcision so that they could be made uh, right and they could enter into the true fellowship that these Judaizers who came in and said, the only way you can go to heaven, you have to become a Jew. And that's what they were teaching these new believers. And uh, it's kind of a sad thing. So Paul uh, here, and this is the last admonition in chapter 6, but he adds to it here. He says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of Christ, uh, some people, the antinomians say, well, we're not under any law at all. But that's not true. We're under the perfect law of liberty. We're under the law of Christ. James speaks of the royal law. So uh, there's a law now written in the fleshy tables of the heart, 2 Corinthians says. Believers now have an inward witness that tells them right from wrong. And their conscience, you know, by reading the scriptures, knows how we ought to comport ourselves in a godless world. So we bear one another's burdens. It's a fantastic picture, by the way, of a hero National Guardsman during the um, one of the hurricanes, and uh, and this one was in uh, in Houston, and uh, this poor woman and babe were uh, trapped in their car in the background there, and the guardsman came and rescued them. You know, this is, these are glorious illustrations of what salvation is. That's why we love the word salvation or being saved. This is what salvation means. It means being rescued. You have no power to save yourself. The waters are coming in. Uh, somebody has to come to our rescue or we're, we're going to perish for sure. And, uh, and then to see uh, the serenity on the face of the little uh, cherub here, you know, being nestled in the arms of the mother. And then the mother being carried by her hero. These are what heroes are, by the way. Not football players or hockey stars uh, or politicians. These are heroes. Uh, and they're uh, grossly underpaid, by the way, for what they do. But they wouldn't want to be paid for what they do. You can't pay them for what they do. Heroes. Heroes and champions that come to the cause of those that uh, are less fortunate. To the weak. And believers are called to go and do what we can in the name of Jesus Christ because he is our exemplar in this. And he came to save the feeble-minded and the weak. And he came to lift us up. And when we had no strength, yet in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And he lifts us up just like he did in that parable. You know, when he takes that poor man half dead on the road and uh, beaten, slain, naked, you know, and laying exposed and waiting, of course, for the vultures to come. And, uh, and the good Samaritan comes to his rescue. And so this good Samaritan, I love the picture here again, um, even in a sense, it's what's captured in this is the, in the stolid face of the hero. He is doing his duty. Uh, we don't see him looking up, you know, looking at the camera. Uh, so these clowns, that, uh, you know, they make a touchdown and they're looking for the camera, right? Where's that camera? And so forth. Look at me. Look what I just did and so on. And uh, I mean, they'll do it for anything. They, they tackle a guy, you know, and he loses five yards and he wait, you get, look, where's that camera? You know, want some credit for it and so on. He's already getting paid $30 million. That's not enough. But you see a true hero, he's not looking for the limelight. He's not looking for the spotlight. He's not, not looking for any commendation. Um, and I tell people all the time, listen, you might be disappointed along life's journey. You help people and the, there's really not a spirit of um, appreciation. Oftentimes it's, what have you done for me lately? And uh, that attitude has been cultivated in America. It is a disgusting display of ingratitude. But we have it. It's everywhere. Um, but the, the hero's not concerned about applause. He's concerned about doing the right thing. So keep doing the right thing. It was Bob Jones Sr. that used to say, do right though the stars fall from heaven, do right. So you do right whether there's an applause, whether somebody recognizes it, whether your name's in the paper, you do right. You do what is the right thing. Because we know at the end, 
the great arbiter of all things, who watches everything that happens, who now has a book of remembrance and a recording angel. And he says, do you hear these people that uh, are meeting tonight at this church and uh, they fear my name and they speak often one to another? Well, write all that down in the book of remembrance. And they shall be mine in that day when I shall make up my jewels and I will spare them as a father spareth his own son that serveth him. Could we uh, find a better consolation than that? So, bear ye one another's burdens. You know, I'm so... I'm so well pleased to be surrounded with people that have that heart, by the way. Um, And Roseanne spoke eloquently and emotionally here this morning, and people have come to the rescue here. And Linda is one of the stars in the back there every day, helping, doing things. Susie was there. Um, but now I'm going to forget everybody that was there, but there were uh, uh, so many people that came. Delhi's in the back there working. Uh, and, and people that, that said, look, the, obviously, all it takes is to look at the situation and say, what can I do? What, what is it that I'm called to do here? What can I do in the name of Jesus Christ? Uh, and these are people right within the body of Christ. They're right within our reach. And uh, it behooves all of us to learn what the burdens are and to do our best to ameliorate troubles and, and sorrows. Um, poor widow here, she's been coming here a little bit and so on, and she uh, sprung a leak in her ceiling and uh, she uh, let it be known uh, that she had a plumber come over. The plumber would not look at the work until uh, the ceiling has to be taken out. He's not going to do that. He's, you know, these high and mighty people, right? Uh, you get all the ceiling out of the way, then I'll go up and repair the pipe. Well, that's the easy part, right? But uh, so that's, uh, and she's fit to be tied. Doesn't know what the guy's going to cost. Well, of course, what, a plumber? $1,000, something like that. So what do we do? Well, the best that we can. I mean, we're obviously limited what uh, abilities we have and, and uh, to some degree what, depending on the uh, scope of the work that has to be done. But in this case, it was a, a simple pipe that had rotted and so on. And dear John Slipka, you know, I could call him anytime. And, uh, he has a heart to help. And uh, I said, John, you know, uh, I can't get up on the ladder much. So he said, oh, he said, I'll go, I'll go up. And you know, it's dirty work. Uh, any leaking pipe, you don't know. As soon as you put your finger through the pipe, the whole thing shredded and the water comes down and so forth. And you get a shower. I said, John, better you than me. But uh, <laughs> I'm just there for moral support. But that, that's what it is to be. Don't you want to be a hero for the Lord? Uh, to help those that are about us that are in dire circumstances, if we can. I mean, some some of these things are bigger than we are, I know that. But that was a little thing, and that was something that could be done and was done. Melanie, do you remember you got in trouble there with the judge, and she was going to throw you out of the house, right? Melanie tells the judge, my pastor will come and help. Of course, she didn't call me or anything like that, but you remember this, don't you? Oh, you forgot about it. Okay, well, I haven't forgotten about it. And it's written in the Book of Remembrance. But, um, and she was right. And, uh, well, it wasn't just me. There was a, we had a group of people that went over and, and bailed you out of the, a pretty difficult situation at that point. Yeah. Well, that nine years ago, that it couldn't have been nine years, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, you were in trouble, yeah, and they were talking about eviction. And they also were talking about you had too many cats there, if you'll recall. But, but the judge was a cat lover and let you off, to my chagrin. I said, she let you keep all those cats. The cats didn't like me when I came in. Right away, they're hiding up in the corner and so forth and hissing at me. But, all right. 
Now, what's the Bible say about all this? Well, let's take a look here. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Uh, the term refers to weakness of will, by the way, and vacillation of purpose, so rather than, uh, than to idiocy or morbid uh, imbecility. So we, you would look that up in Vines and get the uh, original language here, and that, that kind of helps us out to, to, so we know exactly what he's has in mind here. Zechariah tells us, I'll strengthen them in the Lord. They shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees that we find in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I, I always refer to Job's uh, discourse in this matter. Um, we have it in the 29th chapter where he speaks about, uh, well, he's defending himself at this point. He has uh, three adversaries. Well, they were supposed to be friends. And, um, you know, Mo, Larry, and Curly, and they came to visit Job. And, you know, Job's in terrible uh, distress, and uh, he was in desperate need of some consolation. And these friends were not consolers. They became accusers, false accusers, and accused him of being a hypocrite. And, uh, and so Job had to defend himself. And the way he defended himself, well, show me my faith by my works. That's basically how he did it. And he said, I delivered the poor, um, and uh, the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. Uh, the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, he said. I caused the widow's heart to sing. I put on righteousness and clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And uh, the cause which I knew not, I uh, searched out. And see, it is really our responsibility to search the matters out and see, well, you know, is there something that I might be able to do to ameliorate the, a difficult circumstance? In the first church, we find them distributing to the necessity of the saints. Uh, and it pleased uh, them of Macedonia and of Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And so they did. And they, uh, uh, and this was uh, noble, and it was, they took the high ground in this because, in a sense, the Jews in Jerusalem were, though they were Christians, there was a certain arrogancy. They believed themselves, again, the chosen people, after all, and uh, they were slow to, uh, to accept the Gentile branch of the church. Uh, they insisted, we've got to put some kind of control on this. And yet here they were with magnanimous hearts, uh, giving, uh, Paul said, look, there, there's big trouble in Jerusalem. There was an earthquake there. There was a famine that hit the land. There was persecution coming at that particular time from Claudius. Uh, and so times were tough for the Jews that were in Jerusalem, and the Christian Jews in particular were having a great difficulty. And so Paul said, well, take an offering here from all the churches. And so he brought this largesse of uh, uh, wealth and spread it abroad to the saints. He said, this is from the Gentile part of the church. The, bodies, the body of Christ is coming in the name of Jesus here. Acts 4, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither had they any of them the things which ought that uh, he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Uh, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And he laid them down at the apostles' feet. Here's Barnabas, of course, that took, uh, he had uh, parcels of land. He was a wealthy man. He sold it and laid, they laid them to the apostles' feet. Distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. First church wasn't building Vatican's, you know, and uh, installing gold toilets and lo uh, gold sinks. They lived an opulent life in Rome. There's bachelors up there, you know, the cardinals and the popes and so on. And uh, what arrogance, you know, taking offerings and uh, to keep them in luxurious living. The first century was uh, self-sacrificing. It was all about creating a certain degree of uh, equality and egalitarianism in a perfect sense, communism. And uh, this is what they were doing. You'll see the case here of Paul who was in prison and Epaphroditus coming to him uh, while he was in need there, you know, and he was bringing things to him uh, uh, to cheer his spirit. Uh, we have the case here in 1 Timothy where it says, well reported. We're talking about the widows. They, they're well reported of good works. 
if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work, uh, they were to be helped along the way. And there was uh, the story of Dorcas, who, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, saw the need and, and helped the, the old ladies, you know, and did what she could. And she made little coats for them in the winter time. Uh, Tabitha, named Dorcas, uh, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She's a heroine of the uh, of the of the New Testament in the uh, in that first century of believers. James tells us that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this: to visit the widow in their affliction, the widow and the fatherless in their affliction. So. Um, uh, we're best to look, keep an eye out for these circumstances and uh, be quick to obey when, uh, when needs present themselves and say, what can I do? What will I do? How much can I do uh, to serve the Lord uh, and, and, and rush to the need? So, um, so I happen to mention uh, what's going on there. Art was with me uh, on Saturday. You know, we're uh, moving and doing, doing that work there. And Jim and um, Jim Sweeney was involved. And got these people that just are saying, look, you know. And I had to, had to comment, you know, we're all over 60. Every, we're all seniors. And uh, I don't, we're all going to die is what I'm getting to at some point. And, and then what? What's going to happen at that point? You know, we're bereft of, of uh, a lot of the young people that were raised here in the church, and uh, I, I wish that they were still a part so that they could actually undergird the work and keep the thing going on. Uh, this is not done in many churches. It's not known in most churches. Uh, but um, this is what is true Christianity. Now, we all have the opportunity to be involved uh, in the distant lands, and we think of the work uh, that's going on in Haiti where there's uh, just abject poverty and terrible circumstances, uh, and, and things continue to exasperate, uh, exacerbate the, the poverty. Uh, is, there's no end to it. Um, they, were, they were smitten with uh, uh, hurricane, earthquake, you name it. They've had the problems there. I mean, people still living in tents and bathing in sewer water, and it's just it's a disgusting circumstance, and it does not get better. And so we, of course, here at the church have all these years supported Lucian and that charitable work that happens as he feeds the poor. And he's giving them the gospel, of course, which is the only hope to be pulled out of that cesspool of a country is to give them the gospel and to pull them out of the voodoo temples. And it's a strange uh, uh, demographic in Haiti. They say that in Haiti it's, it's 90% voodoo. And it's also 90% Catholic. Now, how could that be, right? <laughs> Think about it. They seem to be able to get along together. But um, <laughs> the gospel is what's needed. All right. Well, we're all aware of this. Uh, the Olivet Discourse has two prongs to it, so to speak. And uh, it's probably rightly divided, 24 and 25 of Matthew's gospel. But really, it's one sermon, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, the first uh, leaf of that sermon, the 24th chapter, is about the coming of the Lord and the second coming and the signs and so on. But the, the second chapter of it, the 25th chapter, parabolic teachings about the coming of the Lord and the rewards that he's going to mete out at the, at the, at the great day. And so the Son of Man will come in his glory and with all the holy angels and uh, he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Then shall the righteous uh, answer him. You know, he's going to, he's going to say, I was uh, hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick and in prison and you came and visited me. And they're going to answer, the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger and uh, took thee in naked and clothed thee? Uh, when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it, have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. All right, so we want to keep in mind here that, that this record that I was talking about earlier, God has a record of it all. He knows what has been done and what really hasn't been done. These very practical expressions here we find in this particular parable. Good works, you might say, none of which merits salvation, but we know it accompanies salvation. 
it, it follows naturally from a born-again heart the desire to not be served but to serve to be in a place where you can say in the name of Jesus I gave a cup of cold water I did something to help those that are in misery and thus became a witness of the love of God and the power of God and so he's going to gather all the nations he's going to separate the sheep from the goats you know the story quite well and uh, these shall go away into everlasting life the sheep and those unto everlasting damnation the goats he's going to separate the saved from the lost and the criteria at least in this particular context is the work that is produced again this is a production of the evidence of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of the sheep that now motivates them to be altruistic and not to be egocentric and not to care about the things of themselves which leads us back to our text here naturally in the second verse let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification now again this is totally unnatural this is not natural thinking the natural man does not understand this the natural man is all about himself all about self-aggrandizement what's in it for me and what can be accomplished by it uh, they will help if there's a, a quid pro quo if there's if there's going to be some kind of equal return that I get from this then I'm willing to uh, throw in a hand and so on but uh, that's not what the Bible teaches just really the opposite serving and serving in the place of Christ serving as he served here on earth so Philippians 2 tells us let nothing be done through vainglory uh, but uh, strive for vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem the other better than himself and look not every man to his own uh, things but every man to the things of others so this is a grand expression I serve God by serving others uh, it's as simple as that there are people that often say well I have no special gifts what what is it that I can do <laughs> and you can do much in the name of Jesus Christ and you don't have to be an orator and you don't have to be a singer and you don't have to be uh, you know anything of that nature you can just simply serve God by serving others God give us all a servant's heart and that's what the text is truly all about here serving others and particularly serving the body of Christ so be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another preferring one another means put others ahead of yourself in that case again it's quite unnatural and uh, by the way it's very clear to me at least that if you do this that all of your things will be taken care of too by the way okay so if you put him first all of your things will be taken care of I'm not saying that you should you know, be derelict in your responsibility to your family and to the things that have to be done in your house and everything but really you put him first and everything will fall into line uh, don't you believe that so uh, it has to be seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you so so God is not derelict in his responsibility to us and so if he's inviting us to be servants to others he will make sure that our little things are taken care of but we don't want to put our things before everything else um, so all right we'll go to the third verse for even Christ pleased not himself but as it is written the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me it's curious uh, quotation from Psalm 69 and it is messianic uh, but there's a great principle that's behind this and that is the principle of agape love it's a principle of giving up oneself and it is certainly illustrated in the highest degree in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ it's what uh, is so attractive about him I think even the lost have to be attracted to the self-sacrificing spirit of our great King of Kings and Lord of Lords there's never been a king like this you watch people uh, ascending to power and the arrogance that goes along with it the bloviating of what they have done what they have accomplished and all this sort of thing it's really disgusting uh, but this is what flesh is about boasting at all times making that proud boast you know of the things that they have done what they have accomplished and so forth well all the while we know that there's not a thing that we could do had it not been for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that he should be honored and glorified in whatever good thing that might be accomplished 
for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Now, this principle takes us to one of the great doctrines of the scripture that I've repeated over and over again and not ashamed to do it again, and that's the doctrine of vicarious suffering. The reproaches, well, our reproaches fell on him. You see, it was with his stripes that we are healed, right? For Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being quickened, resurrected by the Spirit. So Christ died for us. I mean, there's simple four words that you find in Romans chapter 5, you know, um, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And that's vicarious substitution. That's the Lord taking the burden, taking the reproaches and the sins of a world into himself. And he does so without complaint. And he becomes now this divine exemplar. And away with the notion that we say, well, you know, I'm just not Christ. And so we think that somehow that'll be a great hiding place. And it won't be. We're called to be conformed to the image of the one who saved us. To be more like Jesus and to be Christ-like in our approach. Vicarious substitution. And that's what I see here in this particular verse. And of course, Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And <clears throat> the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So it is one of the great substitution verses, you know, the notion and the concept. Of course, we have in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, something a bit more theological, you might say, where uh, God, he made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. So Christ knew no sin, but God makes him become a sin sacrifice and lays the sin of the world upon him. And thus again, he's not, Christ teaches us, wasn't living for himself here, he's living for us. He was dying for us, as a matter of fact. And uh, as a result, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus, in him. Uh, and so that's all that uh, lesson I've taught a thousand times. Uh, so important for us to understand the imputed righteousness that God has given to us. And thus, with that, the imputed Holy Spirit, who now changes the motivation of the heart, massages that heart that's uh, inured to the needs of others. And actually, we, be, we get a broken heart, and we begin understanding the burden that is all about us and see in the name of Jesus what we might do. All right, fourth verse. So, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So he's referring to that third verse that was written in Psalm 69 and demonstrating how that particular psalm teaches us what, uh, what Christ was willing to do in taking the, the reproach, the, the dirt, the filth of our lives into him himself and his pure being and to take that on and, and uh, suffer the affliction in our place. And these things, he says, were written aforetime or before they, they were written for our learning. Uh, so, so all of that is back there as a lesson. We're in, this, we're in the uh, classroom of Christ and all this becomes a lesson to us how we ought to live now uh, since we've become Christians. Uh, so that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now I'm hoping that everybody here reads their Bible. You read your Bible every day, I would imagine. I hope so. And I hope that you find patience and comfort in the reading of the scripture. Now we can get carried away. I mentioned this morning, and I really believe, uh, because I hear people so depressed because of the elections and what happened in the elections and you know why did God let us down and here we got these people I mean they're ruling over us they're wicked and so on what's going on here and I said you know just to slow down you know oh you're overreacting uh, we're not citizens of this world you have to understand that this world is a strange place to us we're pilgrims here we really don't belong here 
and for us to get worked up about all of this, realizing it at all times that all of this is under the purview of the Almighty, that God permits these things. And, and you might wonder, well, why does he permit this? And the, the answer has to be, it's what we deserve. And I might have to even say it's what the church deserves. So, uh, and really, we're his, we're the apple of his eye. And I think that God is, is fairly disappointed with the church at large. And as a result, uh, we're not getting those powerful answers in the, in the hope of revival, in the hope of uh, some kind of spiritual leadership in this country. I mean, we're devoid of it, truly. I mean, we, we really had to, uh, I don't know, debase ourselves at the last election and vote for a man that is a, uh, a flagrant adulterer. Uh, uh, and this isn't something I don't need to make the judgment. He told us himself that this is a, he bragged about it, that this is who he is. And it's so disturbing to all of us. I mean, can't we do better than this, you would think? But no, this is where, I mean, this was it. And, uh, and, so, and, so, and so, so many people are saying, well, you know, that's what we need again and so forth. And I said, you know, what we really need is a truly godly person to enter that office. I think we were close, perhaps, with the vice president. Uh, he seems to be a Christian man. He talks about Jesus. Uh, and even praise for the president, even to this day, and the president that you know was willing to see him get hung. You know, I, I think that that would have been. But you see, he didn't have the charisma uh, and, and the uh, the bloviating that's necessary to rise to a, a prominent position because people are fooled by that sort of thing. But uh, with all that said, my hope isn't going to be, and nor should yours be, in some politician that's going to come riding in on a white horse and change the course of history. Um, the, the, greatest, the greatest deed that we could do to change the course of American history is to be out witnessing one-on-one, one, one by one. Now, this is tedious, I'm telling you. It might seem as though it is uh, a hopeless cause, but I'm telling you, this is God's way. And, uh, and that's where our hope is. And that's what we see in the Scripture, repeatedly throughout the Scripture. This is God, what God is truly waiting for His people to awake. For judgment must first begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, uh, then uh, if judgment first begins at us, where doth the ungodly and sinner appear? Uh, so, so in other words, God has to cleanse his church and that the church is the salt of the earth, not the politicians and not some law that they write and so forth. You say, we need this law and we need that law. And so if you get people saved, they wouldn't want to marry a man. A man wouldn't want to marry a man, right? If you get people saved, they won't want to run down and get their baby flushed down a toilet. If they got saved... They, we wouldn't need a law like that. We shouldn't need a law like that. We wouldn't need a law of prohibition where we close down all the bars and so forth. I mean, that's as obvious as can be, the trouble the drink brings. Uh, but what I need, more than a law that closes all this down or stops the marijuana smoking and all this stuff, what I need is for people to be born again. Because then, once the Holy Ghost is implanted in the heart, what a difference that'll make. So we... We read the Bible, then the Bible settles us down and gives us patience, right? And comfort in the midst of all of this and say, you know, we, we're brought back to our, our true roots and, and the hope, the hope that is laid before us. See this? So it's all found in the scriptures. And one that studies the scriptures then will be steeped in hope and comfort Instead of people now that are like in despair, what are we going to do? And, you know, throwing up their hands and so forth. Listen, read the scriptures and the scriptures tells you what's going to happen ultimately. There is the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So if we're hoping in something other than that, all I can say to you is good luck. Good luck. If you're hoping in something else. But I'm hoping in something that has some reality to it, not some shadow uh, that comes along. Paul said something similar to the Corinthians here. Let's take a look at this. So he said, uh, now all these things happen unto them, Israel, for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And now that's interesting. So everything in the Old Testament, he said, and everything that Israel went through, all of that object lessons for us today. 
Uh, elsewhere, and I, I, you know, there, there are folks that really uh, are out there that are teaching, don't read anything in the Old Testament. They're ultra-dispensational. Uh, that has nothing to do with us. Are you kidding me? It has everything to do with us. These are lessons that we can learn from David's uh, foibles, from the way that he fell, from Solomon and the folly of Solomon. We can learn from uh, the lessons of Moses and from Abraham and from all these saints of the Old Testament. We're t studying them on Wednesday nights and uh, they're in samples to us. And, uh, and we read it, read it with great confidence and we, what do we see at the end? That the hope that was laid before every one of them and they were clinging by faith without ever even realizing the promises that you and I now are living under the inebriation of those promises. Messiah has come. He has sent his spirit and he will never leave us nor forsake us. They did not have that in the Old Testament. So all the things that we read about and all the adventures, the, the saints of old, all of this a great admonition for us upon whom now the ends of the world have come. It's interesting, you know, that was written there in the first century, the ends of the world. Yeah, yeah, we're at the end of the world. Been 2,000 years. It's a long end, but it's, a, it's an ending, I can tell you right now. It's kind of like one of my sermons. When I say, you know what, this is the final point. There's a guy who took me to task years ago, and he said, you say there's a final point, then you go on for half an hour. I said, well, I said, well, it's the final point of Roman numeral three, but then there's subsections. There's, you know, there's, there's a subsection A, B, C, and then there, under A, there's one and two. It's, I said, that, that's the way it works. You know, it's the, it's the last point, but of the Roman numerals. At any rate, he, he didn't care for that answer either. But, I mean, I didn't charge him any. We didn't take a second offer. You know, they do take second offerings at other churches, just in case you're wondering. We never do that here, but I mean, really, they do. They'll take a second offering. So, hope. That's a glorious thing indeed. Now we studied in the 8th chapter, for we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, or what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. What we just learned in the passage there about patience and comfort of the scriptures that bring hope to the heart. And it's kind of echoed here in that 8th chapter as well. We're saved by that hope. And it's a hope that's it's not seen. It's the hope of faith, you know, that, uh, that it's going to happen just as God said. Those that are depressed, I often take them to this psalm. This is uh, Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul longeth for God, thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, as they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Now, and he repeats this expression uh, about waiting on the Lord and trusting God and the hope uh, that God gives to us. Uh, so why art thou cast down, O my soul? Uh, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Uh, and so the, this uh, appears and reappears through the 42nd and the 43rd Psalm and the notion of hope. Uh, why are we depressed? Why are we uh, downtrodden? Why, why is it uh, happening? Uh, why is it that we respond and react to the people that mock God because he said, well, why doesn't your God do something and so on? And we say, well, I can't answer that. You know, so uh, it, it encourages us in the midst of all of that to hope in God. Uh, and that, that uh, comes like a mighty arm from God and reaches down and pulls us out of the veil of distress. All right, so we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So, and what a hope we have indeed. Now I've given you the illustration before, and this is just a simple word study. And through the Bible, you can do these various, uh, they're, they're called thematic studies. So a thematic study is when you say, well, we're going to preach on hope. And a lot of preachers, they'll, they'll do thematic preaching. I try to do expositional, where we just go through the verses of the Bible. But um, thematic is a good way as well, where you, you actually say the theme is we're going to preach on hope. And, uh, boy, you can go right through the Bible. And what a, what a wonderful thread it is. Here's where a, a concordance uh, can be a, a friend to any young believer even, where you just open the concordance and this, look up the word hope. And then go everywhere in the Bible where you find hope. 
and and let it just kind of uh, you know simmer in the heart and the mind and incubate in the brain you know and bring peace to us and comfort and, se- and settles us any of these passages do we have the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ in Titus chapter 2 verse 13 we have the lively hope of Peter uh, where he tells us uh, the li- uh, lively hope uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you the lively hope the living hope in other words um, and uh, of course you know we've been t- discussing in Hebrews 7 all the while the better hope uh, the, everything about Hebrews a better thing that he's prepared for us a better hope even we even have a better hope than any of those saints of the Old Testament had we have the purifying hope in First John chapter 3 uh, where he that hath this uh, hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure and the hope one day of being delivered from the very presence of sin in, in a pure manner that God actually uh, uh, takes all of that and cleanses us thoroughly when we're in his presence there's the unseen hope that we already mentioned in Romans chapter 8 the eternal hope in Titus 3 and the reasonable hope of First Peter chapter 3 all of these uh, scriptures that we read that encourage the heart to believe and trust to know that God indeed is mighty and in control alright we're going to move on that you may uh, with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God repeatedly through the book of Romans Paul is trying to emphasize the need for the unity of the body of Christ it is a sad thing to see the body of Christ rent and torn but uh, it is so and a lot of it has to do with just doctrinal differentiations and uh, we've got to I've got to be careful certainly of just becoming censorious where you know it's me and nobody else and uh, you know I'm the only one that's seeing it right Luther complained in his day that he thought you know he was the only one that was seeing it right which isn't true there's there are believers all over the country and all over the world that see it right and understand the truth there is no exclusivity to this it belongs to just a denomination or something of that nature uh, so we want we must be very careful about that because that was the faux pas of the church at Rome uh, and they were letting the devil come in and divide them as a people and so he's pleading for unity here in this text he's pleading for patience with weaker brethren uh, he's demonstrating that if you're strong in the faith then you condescend to the men of low degree do the best that you can in other words to live peaceably among you uh, this is the will of Christ who on that eve just before he was crucified gathered them in the upper room and he said this is how the world will know you they'll know you by your love and the love that the body of Christ has one for another it uh, it's a glorious witness uh, well even this morning I think you know with the testimonies that were given and so on and we had unsaved people here in the church I hope you all want to meet them and uh, you know the one gal that told me um, that she heard a sermon online that I was preaching and I said if you come to our church 12 people will come up and be friendly to you and she says I'm waiting for the 12 so I hope that she didn't I hope that she wasn't disappointed uh, why get up and get out of here when when there's work to be done and there's ministry to be had and uh, I mean this here God is bringing them to us right and we certainly want to meet them and encourage their hearts and and be a witness to them uh, but they could have heard here this morning how this this body of Christ is unified and how how we love one another and how how we do for one another and, and how we care for one another and that is a grand witness to the lost world uh, their associations so how often I've said uh, there in the jail I'll tell the guys there I said now how many of your friends are coming to visit you here or they look at me I said don't they come down to, and uh, sign in for a visit well I know they don't I mean they're not friends the people of the world they're there to use you that's all and, and, and I'm rubbing it in I'm saying look what you know don't they come and put some money on your account oh they really look at me like you know are you crazy won't they pay for one of those inside outside meals you know if you're in jail you get the you, you get the the bologna sandwich um, and has, it, you know the the meat looks like there's a rainbow color in it. it it looks like it's plastic it looks like something you'd get from the play-doh uh, and uh, 
but you can order a meal from outside. And this is a great money maker for the jail. And they, they charge you $28. And $28 for a hamburger and french fries and a bottle of Coke. $28. <laughs> it's called Inside Outside. I was teaching one time there on the unit, and all of a sudden, um, everybody got up. I said, where are you all going? He said, they said, inside, outside. I, I didn't know what they were talking about. I, I thought maybe they're getting released. And uh, one guy, the, he didn't have the $28, so he was staying in the Bible study. I said, what, what, what are they talking about? They said, oh, it's inside, outside. They're paying for a meal. They're all getting that meal. And, and he said, you know, half of them, they're going to trade it with another guy. And they, they make deals with the hamburger. You know, they'll split half the hamburger or maybe give somebody a dill pickle. I don't know what they do. But, um, oh, you know, that's friendship of the world. Fair weather friendship. Yeah, and it ought not to be so. Loyalty uh, in Christ. Loyalty one to another. Uh, we're bound by the powerful nexus of the Holy Spirit. And so we're here to love one another and to do what we can uh, in the case of those that are about us. And so Paul here is making that, that point about the unity, that you may be one mind. Now the only way we can be one mind is that we're all reading the same book. And we're studied in that book. And that the, the book makes sense to us. And hopefully when we expound it, that we're not adding our own private interpretations. And so people can look and say, yeah, that's what that means. And here's the lesson that we derive from it. Instead of exercising, well, I'll do what I want to do. And forget that nonsense. You learn it from the world and from the devil. We're going to do what Christ wants us to do. And if it says it in the word, then we conform to it rather than trying to make the Bible conform to us. So we'll be of one mind, one mouth glorifying God. And so tonight, here what the hymns, the reason I try to get everybody to the front is so that everybody kind of cooperates and we're together. I try, I'm trying to make that happen. I, I, you really can't make it happen. Uh, it has to come from everybody's heart. But I, I, the reason I, I want to foster that is because um, it joins us in a very special way. And then um, uh, there are people that will uh, glorify God in their testimony and, and speak up uh, for the Lord. Uh, another will feel, uh, perhaps even while we're singing a song, maybe maybe go up to another one and, and, and uh, put their arm about them and, and pray for them. Because, you know, they're going through a special time or a special burden. Uh, I, I would hope that that can happen spontaneously rather than being forced to do it. It would come from the heart that that's really why we're assembling here. Uh, and that we'll take note of uh, where other people are and, and, and what they may be going through and the struggles that they bear. Uh, and this happens after church. I think it's, it's happening. I see people, uh, a number of people here that take up the burden. Uh, we had that, that man here that Alice brought today. Everybody went up to him. That was, But also the fellow in the wheelchair, you know, and he, uh, Charlie, right? And he... Uh, he came wheeling up to me and so forth, and he said, hey, you don't have any cross here in a church. He says, I'm a Methodist. I'm used to seeing a cross. I said, well, I was a Catholic, and they had Jesus on the cross. I said, so we don't do the cross too much here. But I said, it's all in our hearts. The cross is in the heart, you know, and so forth. But we had a great talk here, and he told me how he was injured. Did you find out how he was injured uh, today? Did you go up to him? Did you pray with him? Did you talk with him at all? And uh, he's new to us. And uh, so we, uh, he was telling me about the bicycle accident that he had. It could have happened to me. It could have happened to you. I mean, I, I, I used to ride the bike everywhere uh, on the trails and so forth. And, and he, was, he was way into cycling and so on. And he had a terrible accident. And now he's, he's bound to that wheelchair uh, for the rest of his life until he meets Jesus. So, um, well, this is what we're talking about. One mind, one mouth. Glorifying God uh, and, and sharing with him. Uh, perhaps he shares something with us and we share something with him. You know, we, uh, this, is, this is what the, the body of Christ was meant for. All right, I see we're over time. So, Lord, uh, give us uh, practical application here. Help us to learn from what the word is teaching us here and to find our way in all of this. And, Lord, to do uh, in the name of Jesus what we might be able to do. There are amongst us, Lord, the feeble-minded, the weak, and those, Lord, that are struggling with their faith, and those that need to be strengthened in that faith. Uh, there are others, Lord, that have some uh, temporal needs uh, that perhaps, Lord, we with limited talent might be able 
to help and, and to lift the burden. Certainly this practical lesson here in these few verses, Lord, is all pointing to that. And we have as a grand example the one who gave everything that virtue flowed out of him on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Wherever he was, the power of God and the goodness came forth from him. And uh, we're invited to feel what he felt as he took the infirmities of the people. He took the reproaches. He took all of that to the cross. So we must also take one another's burdens and bear them and to do what we might do, Lord, especially for those that are uh, new in the faith and those that are weak, perhaps, and those, Lord, that might need uh, some tutoring along the way. We pray that you'll uh, wake us up to this matter and to help us to be active in this uh, important aspect of church ministry. So, Lord, uh, another Lord's Day gone, but we're so glad to have been in the house of God, Lord, encouraged and edified, strengthened in the inner man, uh, sang the songs of Zion, Lord, rejoiced in the things of God. Some gave testimony, some uh, lifted up just a word here even tonight, Lord, and uh, all of this, Lord, uh, you have written down in the book of remembrance. It's something, Lord, that you delight in. And you are here in our presence. And we thank you for that. Ever thank you for that, Lord. May it never be written over this church, Ichabod. May the Spirit of God always be here and be welcome here. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you'll empower us. Now, Lord, in the next few days, families will gather together. And in some cases, unsaved will gather at the table with the saved. And we have opportunity to shine brightly for the Master, even though uh, in some cases, Lord, we've been shut up and been uh, put in our place. But uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you can't suppress the truth. It's written on the uh, lineaments of our countenance. And I pray, Father, that this will be the case, that we'll have some opportunities, Lord, and that you will use us in some glorious way during the entire season. Lord, hearts will be open. And uh, I pray, Father, that we can uh, drop the good news in those hearts. And that uh, some will come to know Jesus as a result of this celebration as the world even seems to stop for a moment and consider the birth of the Prince of Peace. In his name we pray. Amen. We invite you to accept the plan of salvation that God has laid forth from the foundations of the earth. And the first point of that plan is that all have sinned. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So begin by confessing your sin before God, that you have sinned against Him. You can't even recollect all of the times that you've offended him. He has the record, and that record needs to be expunged. Secondly, it's important to know that God will punish sin. If it goes without atonement, we will pay the ultimate price. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that eternal price is hellfire and brimstone. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But Jesus paid the price and made the atonement on the cross. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. He made an end to our damnation and our debt that we owed to him, paid by his own blood and justifies us before a holy God. On the third day, in triumph, Jesus rises from the dead that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
So call upon him today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus.